0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 121 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Today is uh, November 21st, 2022. You guys remember uh, year 2000, how that seemed like yesterday?
1: Mm. I do. I do. The world was coming to an end, in fact. But it didn't, as it turns out.
0: Yeah.
2: Everything bad was going to happen on that, that New Year's Eve. And... Uh, we had family tickets to go down to Disney world to celebrate the millennium. Hmm. And I, I, of course, being in it was told probably sometime in September that, uh, no, you're going to be in the data center in the, in the it offices all weekend because in case something goes wrong and nothing went wrong, but you know,
0: did nothing go wrong, Todd, because it was never going to go wrong or was all the, uh, relative, coding of dates fixed in firmware and BIOS and applications and operating systems?
2: So for the for the newer hardware and the newer operating systems and applications, we, we were pretty confident that we were gonna handle the date turnover, but we also had a couple of AS400s and a couple of mainframes uh, that we weren't exactly positive what was gonna happen. Um, so we had contingency plans uh, laid out pretty, pretty, uh, pretty in depth. Um, but we did have a uh, we did have a situation where uh, in November, leading up to that, uh, someone realized that we didn't have a generator uh, to power our data center uh, that was available. So we did a uh, fairly, fairly expensive generator purchase and installation uh, a week before Y two K. So I, we had some electricians that that had a very happy Christmas. We also had a couple <laughs> of uh, generator sales guys that were uh, <laughs> that were uh, celebrating with brand new cars. I'll put it that way.
0: Um, Not that price
2: gouging occurred, but it did. I
0: want to talk about that too. But um, what uh, do, do any of you guys know an organization that had a massive impact, any kind of major impact by Y2K? Nope.
3: No. I just...
1: I just wanted power and I didn't want airplanes dropping out of the sky. I mean, that was what everyone was worried about.
0: Well, um, I um a couple things. one I want to say that I got a I got a friend of mine, a friend of mine that had a staffing business for the couple years leading up to it. He still does, but he's he's loaded now because of Y2K. I mean, he he literally made a fortune off Y2K and staffing up to address it. Yeah.
2: I worked for a company that was a Y2K company and uh, 65% of the revenue went away in the first quarter of 2000 because of that's how much we were, we were making in the, the years prior to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to tie that back to what we're still talking about, which is you know, digital workspaces and specifically uh, Citrix DAS, well, Citrix CVAD. Twenty-two oh nine and Citrix DAZ, which is always the latest. Um, did I say that right? Yep. Yes. I was on a uh, planes, trains, and automobiles and buses tour last week. Uh, Charlotte, Raleigh, Raleigh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Charlotte, Charlotte, um, Greenville, South Carolina. And three times last week, it came up. Hey, well, you know, pandemic happened. What did you change, Mister? customer, Mr. Zintegra guy who knows it all, and I was like, well, we didn't change anything. We already worked this way, and it was funny to watch the customer kind of backtrack out of how bad it was to, oh, yeah, we were all prepared to, and I'm like, oh, five minutes ago, you said you just bought 9,000 new laptops before, during, or during, and after the pandemic to address it. Sounds like you had some big changes, um, and that's why it's important to have this conversation today and continue. This is part four. Uh, If I didn't already say that, um, maybe it's going to take us one or two more to get through all the updates. Uh, But that's why it's important that we have these conversations and we get prepared because I don't know what's coming next, but something's coming next. You guys run into those conversations still?
1: Maybe. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We still do. It's a little bit different now, right? I think um, not, not as impactful. I mean, I don't know that we've seen something like that in 20 years, right? Um, but here we are. The conversation the conversation I keep having is whatever it is that we did, we got to find something new to do, you know. So I think most customers, it was a VPN, it was it was something. But I don't, you know, how many of these these types of events that are so impactful to a business are we going to see in our lifetime, you know?
0: Well, and I was—I wasn't saying you know another pandemic. I was saying just something's coming—a snowstorm, a hurricane, a your kid's sick, a doctor's appointment that you can't move—kind of stuff. Something's coming.
1: Yeah, Buffalo got six and a half feet of snow. There you go. Yeah. There you go.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> that was nuts.
0: So one of the little trivial things that I point to all the time, and I'm assuming this is going to work. But this login, this uh, employee login button right here on the Citrix webpage. That's been there since I started working there in 2009, which means if I'm an employee, I've always known how to get into the system just by going to my own website if I was looking around. That is a huge statement from my perspective, because that really shows that at Citrix World, you eat your own dog food. I don't know about you guys, but I when I worked there 09 to 12 slash uh, 13, for the first three weeks, I didn't have a company-owned device. And I was working, no problem. And that was 2009. Stuff goes back at least to then, and way on, way beyond that.
1: Hey, Andy, can I can I tell you a little secret? Is it Citrix? I've never owned, and I've been here ten years. A company-owned device.
0: Yeah. Well, then that leads me to my whole other conversation. I don't actually believe in BYOD. I believe in BYOD, but I have a problem with it from a security perspective, unless you're all in. If you're all in on delivering the workloads like we're talking about in the Citrix world, whether it's SaaS or whether it's um, x86 legacy Windows desktop, or at that point, you can truly do BYOD. Um, but that's the other part of the conversation. In those conversations last week, they all had just made millions of dollars in purchases of laptops and put VPNs on it. Mm-hmm. And I just I just about lost my mind. I can't believe people are still doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think Jeremy, you said it a minute ago The pandemic happened and most people did it then and continue to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just enabling an entire bot army to attack their environment by doing that. Are they not? Well,
1: they are. And you know, there's a um, so there's a there's a slide I like to bring up when we honestly have these uh, secure private access conversations. So I know it's been a while since we've talked about that technology. But the idea that, you know, historically, folks would deliver a web or SAS app through maybe a published browser. That's fine. Well, you know, secure private access does that with a local browser, which by the way, is built into workspace app these days. And the idea is it's a local browser that's secure that renders it locally. Right. Um, but is that the right solution all the time? So the slide I bring up talks about the different tier of device, whether it's a, a purely BYOD device, whether it's a BYOD device with some sort of posture checking or, you know, whether it's corporate issued or if it's a completely locked down corporate device. So I think, you know, we tier our devices, we tier our data, and honestly, you have to match the technology to the business requirement, right? And so, you know, it's pretty interesting now that we have Citrix DAS and we're delivering virtual apps with secure private access or we're delivering web and SaaS apps from a local, you know, a locally installed application. And does it make sense to do that? You have to factor in, you know, things like, data sovereignty, you know, just data importance, right? You know, is this public data or is this something that's completely internal, like IP? Um, but to your point, I think a lot of organizations that I've talked to, they've kind of just put one solution in front of all of it. And that's not always the right solution.
0: And and twice out of two out of the three times last week, I think they put that solution in front of because they wanted to give that shiny new laptop to that, to that employee as a token of being a great employee which, by the way, three or four years ago, that was a shiny new tablet. Now it's a back to a laptop. Mm-hmm. And it's just this constant chasing of the physical device on the endpoint, not the solution that brings it all to, all to fruition.
1: I do love a good new endpoint, though. I love just opening and the too. box. This is the smell of the new technology. That's, that never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and I think, Andy, I think the other thing that we're, we're dealing with is, you know, 30-plus years of uh, an established process and established routine of how to get a laptop out to an employee, um, the imaging process, the loading the applications on there, and things like that. I mean, there's there's some companies that have entire departments full of folks that they do that, or they've you know their their laptop vendor offers that as a pre configuration service. Um, you know the the inertia associated with. Laptop distribution and fleet management is kind of hard to overcome, especially if it's you're comparing it to something that's fairly, fairly new. And I'll use quotation figures on the on the newness piece of it because you know Citrix has been around for almost that same amount of time with thirty years of delivering applications out to the users. Um, but I think Jeremy brought up a, an interesting point around the data. Um,
0: Hey, Todd, real quick, before you yeah. go there, can I say this sure. real quick? So, sure. so growing up, I wanted to be the guy that owned a car dealership because I wanted to drive a new car every, every month. Yep. Well, now I'm a guy that has a you know company that sells hardware, software, services, solutions, and I get a new laptop every month. So it's not quite the same, but I still get excited when I come home and Amazon Claus has brought me a new laptop or a vendor has sent me a new laptop or a tablet or what have you. It happens like literally almost once a week now. Um so I get it, right? I get why they're... But I want to be clear that the thing that I'm not... I'm not upset about them getting an awesome laptop. I mean, $3,000 for one seems like a bit high. Um, sometimes I get like a $300 one at home and I'm just as excited about that because I'm going to go you know, log into a cloud desktop of some type. What I'm anti is that VPN thing that they put on it. Yep. Now you're going to talk about data.
2: Yeah. So, so the interesting part about the, the data component of it is, you know, what we've seen over the past five to 10 years is that the employees and users don't really care about the hardware. They don't care about the applications, but they do care about the data. The data needs to be available, reliable, and and also they need to be able to work with it. And they don't care what tool they have to use. If they're using Microsoft Office, they're using G Suite, or they're using any of the other tools that are out there, to manipulate the data, they're gonna they're gonna migrate to what they're familiar with and what they're comfortable using, and not have to worry about that. And the same thing goes with the hardware platform. If they're a Mac user, that's fine. If they're a if they're a Windows or a, a Chrome user, uh, that's fine as well. Um, what they really want to be able to do, the important part of their job, is defined by what they can do with the data and what the outcomes are that they can deliver with manipulating that data. That's
0: well, certainly the part that should matter. Um, yeah. However, every time I go to my son's room and I touch that five-year-old Mac that I gave him because I didn't want anymore. I'm like, oh, it's such a beautiful piece of hardware. It's so nice.
2: Yep. But but interesting when you said you get a, when, when Amazon Clause dropped off the latest uh, version of hardware to you, imagine if you had to go through and update every single and install every single application you needed to do, right? you're used to using that hardware that's constantly being refreshed by connecting it to something that you're already familiar with that follows you regardless of what piece of hardware you're on. And that, whether that be a set of applications, your profile, or your virtual desktop or your virtualized applications.
0: Yeah, when it it comes to- You would have a much different experience. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. No, I will tell you, I get one of these new phones every year or so, or every time my kids lose one, and I give them mine and take theirs, the new one. And it as easy as they've made it. I just have so much on this thing that I, for the next three weeks, I go, oh, I forgot about that, or I can't open my garage door, I can't get into my house, and it's easy, but it's still inconvenient.
2: I'd like to figure out how you get how you get the new phone because my kids they get the new phone and I get their piece of crap.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Different hey call. Todd, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta set some expectations. You're the, the man of the house. Yeah. that works.
0: So um, that was Jeremy Myers and Todd Smith, both uh, directors of sales engineering for Citrix. And we also have Bill, who's been patiently quiet. Bill Sutton on the Zenteker side.
3: Bill, how's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm I'm not asleep. Yeah, I've just been patiently listening and agreeing with most of what's been said. It's good uh, to be most- here
0: uh what what did what did we say wrong
3: what would you oh mind okay oh i don't know You didn't say anything wrong um but i you know I, I i pretty much agree with almost everything i think that uh you know the like to todd's point and this kind of goes along with what he what he was just saying I, I got a new laptop um month ago or so and i spent i spent it took me at least two to three weeks to get it uh to get it to where I'm used to it. So I ended up using, which I do from time to time, I used a virtual desktop uh, a lot because the virtual desktop had everything I needed already in it, right? So I kind of invalidated his point. So I guess maybe I would agree with just about all, but I can't think of what I wouldn't agree with. I don't remember, but there was a couple of things said.
0: Yeah. Well, over this weekend, let's see, my wife has her personal laptop, which I use sometimes to get into work. And then my mother-in-law, oh my goodness, my mother-in-law brings... Ago, she brings her laptop and she says some lady from Microsoft's talk. And sure enough, someone was she'd open it up and go to a website and somebody would talk to her about, please don't turn your computer off. Microsoft. We're in the background fixing it. True story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to wipe that one. And then she came over this weekend. I had to you know give her the give it to her. Redone with no admin rights this time.
3: <laughs> I, I don't know
0: how the rest of the world does
3: it. I don't either. Uh, yeah. I Yeah.
0: And had I had time, I'd have put Google on it and give made it a Chromebook for. But I didn't have time. Uh, Let's see. I have so many things I want to talk about. Oh, um, uh, trying to go back to uh, last week's. Okay, I can't. I can't remember. There was something really important about last week's conversations. I wanted to bring up that uh, we're just. Oh, I know what it was. Hey Todd, do you think most people think of Citrix and they think of published apps? to this
2: day is what Citrix is. I think to a certain extent, you're right. Um, You know, there's certainly a lot of legacy customers that uh, still think of us in the context of delivering applications to a, uh, either a non, delivering Windows apps to a non-Windows endpoint, or uh, allowing people to work from home. Um, Those are the two biggest use cases. And, you know, that's the 30 year history that we have. and they don't always understand and they haven't had the updates or, or heard from either Citrix or partners uh, about what we're doing in this new.
0: So that's what I was getting to for last week. I had those conversations and every time I would try to talk about, you know, digital workspace and single sign on and access to SaaS and all these different, um, you know, things, analytics. And I could not get the three customers that were stuck in the ditch to stop thinking Citrix, was published apps to the point where they use Citrix as a verb.
1: Yep. H- how long were they using Citrix, Andy? Like, what's their history with the product?
0: So two of the three folks brought up OS2 and South Florida related. I grew up in South Florida, OS2 mm-hmm wind frame came out of their mouths and which by the way if you're meeting with me and, and you start the conversation with WinFrame or MetaFrame, you're already losing points because that means you don't know the latest stuff if you're just trying to tie the conversation back to 25 years ago i already start to dismiss what you don't know because you're you know trying to use the uh you know the old the old guy card on me and i don't care about the old guy card
2: if, if they were talking in os2 they were probably talking about WinView back in the day View. which was which was my my uh, first introduction to Citrix as a uh, as a delivery mechanism.
1: Yeah, you know we we got a lot of customers who've been doing it since the, you know well we'll name drop MetaFrame right they've been doing it for years and that was the initial use case that was the only use case right published desktops published apps right you know Zen Desktop was not a technology until what 2008 2009 ish time? Yep. you probably know yeah uh, but 2009 since the, we have a we, we kind of have a generation of IT administrators who don't know that model, right? So everything is VDI. And when we talk about published apps, they would say, is that a thing, believe it or not? So it's, it's we're starting to see a pretty good mix.
3: Yeah, I, I, we, I've run into customers that were newer to the technology within the past three to five years that are, that see it as a VDI play, you know, mm-hmm. it's VDI, it's VDI, it's VDI. And we'd be in design discussions with them and they'll say, well, we have this one app we really want to deliver um, kind of separately. So can we create a separate, well, you can do that as a published app via, you know, on a multi-user operating system. Oh, you could do that. Really? Citrix can do that. Well, yeah, they've been doing that since the beginning practically, but uh, yeah. So I've seen it i've seen it the opposite where the, the the beginning is VDI and this is mostly for folks that have come that are new to the technology in the past few years
1: but you know what there's a legacy here bill and Andy have seen several of these customers as well where um, they use citrix for virtual apps and they use VMware for virtual desktop oh, yeah. Why? well because VMware first served up desktops and citrix did apps it just right it just kind of made sense and I think there are plenty of customers where that, that legacy still exists because mm-hmm. that's just kind of how it's always been done.
0: Well, it's kind of like people always see VMware for server virtualization because that's what it was Mm -hmm. magical. That's what it did. You know, you always see Cadillac as your grandfather's car because that's what you're associating with. Mm I had a customer.
2: Yeah, so I had a customer years ago in in New England that they actually used Citrix to publish out the VMware client. Mm -hmm. So they would log into their Citrix virtual app to connect into their VMware virtual desktop. I've, I've seen that too and it and it worked for them right they got the security associated with with citrix they got it to leverage the ica protocol and then they got a chance to use the uh, the VMware virtual desktop and it, and it worked really well of course they were paying for both licenses but at the same time you know it it, it met the need um and it was something they were familiar with and they could they could leverage
1: well, you know, Todd, think about it, though. What was not unusual is those are two different budgets. You know, you had application right. delivery coming from the app team and then you had the
0: desktops coming from an entirely different team. So, yep. yeah, Jeremy, actually, it's one of our mutual customers that we both would know real well. If I said the acronym, uh, that was one of these conversations last week. And if I had time in every meeting, I would just stop and say, OK, stop. Whether you're new or old to this. And I've got what I've got on the screen. What is Citrix used for installed on user devices and other endpoints such as uh, virtual desktops, workspace app provides users a quick secure self-service access to documents, applications of all types, if I could add that little piece, and desktops. And then it goes on to talk about you know on-demand access to web apps, SaaS apps, x86 apps. If you can just get everybody to agree that's what Citrix is, then you can have a real conversation if you can't get past that. And it's all about a published app from Windows you're probably not going to get very far. Hey, what are we here to talk about? Uh, I think we got a new version, of a product
1: that came out three months ago. We're still on this block. <laughs> All right.
0: So this is part four of the What's New in 2209 and, and Daz. Guys, where did we leave off? All right, we've talked
1: about uh, MSIX. Yep. We have talked yep. about Hypervisor. We've talked about SAML-based auth. I think where we're at is right there, actually. Active Directory with Connector appliances
0: all right so other new features in das so citrix desktop as a service where it comes from the magic of the clouds and andy likes to call this plural not singular uh active directory with connector appliances i think this is something i wanted for a long time uh jeremy go ahead and tell me what this is i mean this is a big deal um i mean listen if you have one
1: domain on in a a cloud or it honestly doesn't matter where it's at right but if you're trying to connect a resource location you get one domain you know this is not a real big deal but most organizations I bump into you know they have a forest with multiple domains and the idea is if you want users to be able to log in against any of those domains you had to put cloud connectors in every single one of those domains even if they were in the same location and so what this does
0: if I find real quick what a cloud connector is Uh, So Cloud Connector, wow, man,
1: so many roles. In fact, if you install this software on a Windows machine, I think there's maybe 20 different services that get installed. But long story short, if you're running Citrix DAS.
3: Sorry,
0: just real quick. But it starts as a Windows domain joined yet another Windows server or three, right?
1: Correct, correct, right? So your DAS solution, you've got resources sitting in a location. You need to install these Windows Cloud Connectors. Uh, at least two, probably three from a redundancy perspective. Uh, In this location, they are domain joined, so they're domain aware. Um, And once that happens, then, you know, Workspace knows how to log in is essentially what it is. Uh, and, And the way it works in the past is if you had multiple domains, that meant you had to stand up multiple pairs, twos and threes of cloud connectors, Windows cloud connectors in each of these locations. And so what this does is, Number one, this is a connector appliance. So this is a virtual appliance. And number one, it's not Windows. Uh, and number two, it's also forest aware. So now, you know, you could put one of these guys in or a pair of these guys in and it can traverse your forest a little bit. So you don't need two connectors, at least per domain, which is a really big deal, especially in the cloud where every resource means more money.
0: So, it's, so uh, it's a smart edge, right? Smarter, leaner, mm-hmm. thinner edge. Quick question for you. Um like, historically, I had one set, which could be two, maybe three, N plus one per domain, and maybe I could do a trust somewhere behind that. I don't know. But now it's just at least two, maybe three N plus one appliances that can talk to all my different domains, trust, no trust, forest, no forest, right?
1: That is correct. That's correct. Um so what's question. interesting about this and i'm going to say no to your next question because usually the next question that comes up is does this replace the windows cloud connectors and that is not true so interesting. yeah so this i think the end goal eventually will be to migrate all of the services over to this connector appliance but today um, there's just a lot to move over i mean you've got local host cache, you've got uh, I mean, essentially for your on-prem VDAs, it appears to be a DDC. So there's a lot that needs to be ported over to this new appliance when, whenever that makes it. So not quite there yet. This is specifically focused on authentication. Um, but this connector appliance is also the same appliance you would use with secure private access where you're trying to provide um, internal access to or external access to internal web apps. Uh, so that would proxy through the same appliance as well.
0: I feel like that time at Christmas when I got Nintendo games and no Nintendo box to play them on.
1: This is not the ET that came with the Atari 2600, which was just frustrating. Uh, This is is certainly a step forward, but uh, just to set some expectations, it's not replacing the Windows connectors yet.
0: Um, Todd, if I have one of these and I'm using it for the Active Directory portion, is Citrix now going to also update the Linux or just the um, software for the connector?
2: Sure, it's on the roadmap. Um, it, it's going, you know, it's it's a Windows first type of approach.
0: Yeah. Well, and I started to set this whole thing up with, you know, those connectors are somewhat magical anyway. We should probably do another podcast. I think we did one in the past about all the different services on those. Bill, how does this change your rollouts?
3: At this time, not much. Um, unless, you know, when we, when we have SPA conversations or SPA deployments, which we've had met very few of up to this point um then this would definitely be something that would be part of the conversation obviously if or when we get to the point where this essentially takes the role of the traditional um uh, the traditional connector uh that we use with uh, citrix daz then yes this would this would mean we wouldn't have to worry about uh windows operating system installation and maintenance of the connector itself so certainly it would it would change the conversation with the customer and uh Probably make the deployment a little quicker.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hey, before I forget where this blog is by Heather Tatt. I don't think I said that earlier. She she does great work and make sure she gets recognized for us just hanging out, talking about the blog she put together. She did all this for us. We just talk about it. Um, <laughs> Todd, I'll go to you next one. Uh, non-cloud admin email notifications. Help us, give us a little background here and then tell us what this new means, New thing means.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so So this is a great. And this is a great feature, and I'm putting my admin hat on because uh, you know oftentimes you would have to you would have to get these you or you would get notifications from your citrix environment. You would go to the admin only um, email distribution list, right? so or or whoever you identified to get the uh, uh, the email notifications uh, sent out to, right? so, Instead of having to grant everyone admin level access just to get a notification, this, this feature allows you to identify um, individual designations or destinations for notifications for service alerts and things like that. Sometimes they're within IT, but other times they may not be within IT. Uh, you know, a, An example would be if your audit team needs to have a you know, number of unique login information or number of failed login just as a way to to kind of trigger or some type of reporting for uh, for the for the audit team? Or uh, what if I could actually route a application error or an application specific information over to the application owner instead of having to go to the admin who then has to forward it out. And, and I look back and think, you know, at another point in my career, uh, that we used to have to be done by creating all type of complex email routing rules and things like that to, to get, you know, the error that's coming in on SAP launch um, to go to the SAP admin team or the SAP performance management team. Um, what this does is it helps solve that problem and allow us to actually uh, kind of do some intelligent routing that that operational
0: information. Um, um. Bill, any situations where that would have been useful for our clients, where they they've asked for that? Um.
3: Yes. Yes. Uh, particularly help desk type folks. You know, they'll get like access to, to uh, what we what we've historically called called Director. It's now the Monitor tab within the DAS console. But uh, for DAS customers. Um, But I think really what this is talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, these are cloud notifications. So these are things like there's an issue with cloud or there's we want to make you aware of this change or what have you. And those sorts of things um, uh, are have always gone to admins, um, probably aren't appropriate for help desk, but maybe appropriate for other lines of business. So, yeah, we've had like to allow these notifications to go to perhaps an alias or something along those lines. We've had those requests in the past and this certainly will help us address them.
0: Hey, Bill, I'm going to come to you for the next two. First one, we'll hit real quick. Uh, Improved search in Citrix Dab web, Web Studio, which, you know, big kudos to Citrix. This whole studio thing has been more and more web enabled over the last three or four years or three years. Huge improvements there, Bill, any uh, comments to be made on the search piece?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it basically, what it said, improved search. Uh, and this is really within the DAS Web Studio console is there's now a search button that you can use. And if they've improved it, well, it's actually been there a while, but they've uh, improved it. So the particularly when you've got large environments that have perhaps multiple machine catalogs, multiple delivery groups, multiple VMs running within those and the ability to quickly find them within Studio um, and then the capability of being able to export the results as a CSV file, as well as some advanced filtering, certainly will help admins in those larger and even smaller environments get the kind of data they need uh, out of the out of the console.
0: Okay. I was hoping you'd hurry through that because I want to get to this next one. Uh, I know C-
3: you do. I knew you did.
0: Session recording service preview. Bill and I are big fans of Smart mm-hmm. Auditor. Todd, you know what Smart Auditor is? Oh, yeah. So
1: Back uh, in the day. And that's like, that's like Andy dropping Metaframe right there. And that's, let's go old school with our,
0: with our terms. Um, oh, guys, you can make me just think of something. I, um, I checked the podcast every so often to make sure they're in line and I go back and listen to them a little bit. Uh, and we did the one from last week or two weeks ago when we did this last time. And I literally listened to the whole thing, before I realized I had listened to it. I was so intrigued. By
3: I don't
0: know what that says about me, but nonetheless, uh, session recording, uh, Jeremy. Session Recording used to be called Smart Arter. Now it's Session mm-hmm. Recording Service in Tech Preview. Uh, have you people been clamoring for this?
1: Um, I, so I'll tell you, we've, we've got some customers who certainly would, they're interested in leveraging this, right? So they're running Session Recording is an entire deployment stack uh, on-prem in a resource location. And the idea here is can we offload some of the management into the cloud? Now, as cool as that is, right, so, you know, keeping the actual recording targets, you know, on-prem, but keeping the management stack in the cloud, very similar to the way DAS works. Um, what's cool about this is it add, it actually integrates even better with, like, the analytics service, right? So just a quicker tie-in. Um, so now you've got event-driven, you know, session recording pieces, but, you know, ultimately, it's just easier to stand this up. And one of the new things they have tied into here is, you know, making it backwards compatible with, you know, older versions of code, 1912 LTSR. Um, sorry, friends, not 715, but at least 1912.
0: So when I first saw this uh, earlier, I was thinking it was going to be this ability to put the data up in the cloud more seamlessly. This is the control plane piece. Uh, any foreshadowing on the ability maybe to take this and tie it into some public cloud storage to make overcome that thing you hear every time you bring this up that, oh, it's going to be a lot of data?
1: Um, not yet, not yet, but that would certainly be advantageous for sure. Um, I mean, we're starting to see this in you know other solutions, right? Being able to leverage things like Azure files, as opposed to standing up an SMB share for just certain kinds of storage profile data, things like that. So, I mean, I see a scenario where you could do that with session recording. Um, so that'd be uh, nice
0: help people understand what are we actually capturing whenever we're doing session recording like what what's the comeback to the fact that it's going to be a lot of data what makes it so it's not a lot of data
2: so part of it is there's a certain amount of compression that goes into this uh depending on whether you're doing the app or the entire desktop um, you know you can get some improvements around you know not having to to take up an entire full video recording um, so that's that's probably first and foremost. And you know, the, the session recording that we that we introduced with the application. I mean, think about it back in the Smart Auditor days. Uh, it was just within the application window itself, and then people started saying, "Well, we need to do the entire desktop itself to uh, to kind of see what else is going on." And you know, the the, the storage requirements for that just went through the roof. Um, so we had to come up with ways of compressing that data or compressing those those video uh, images. Um, it's still, depending on what you're recording, can still consume a pretty decent amount of storage. But, you know, capabilities like that we've introduced as far as this uh, offering is being able to auto delete um, and also add in their auto archiving. Uh, so being able to, to clean up that storage and clean up the amount of uh, the amount of data that's sitting out there has uh, been impressive and, and, and required.
0: But in, yeah, in I mean, my, you hit on what I was trying to get to is for the most part, you're just recording what's changing on the screen, which for most mm-hmm. people's applications isn't that much. Well. Correct.
1: Ahead, just part answer. of the compression. Yeah. yeah it's part of the, a big part of that. Uh, you yeah, know, the other side of this too is I think folks who have deployed this will also have multiple sites of session recording running. And, you know, the challenge has always been you've got to log into separate sites. You know, here's my. Right. primary site session recording service. Here's my, maybe my failover site, you know, whatever. Now, now I'm standing it up in a cloud. Um, you know, what this also does is tie all three of those potential sites together into one view, which is, which is huge.
0: Okay. Uh, next section, which is near and dear to my heart because we're heavily investing in a now practice over here. Extend ITSM capabilities with Citrix ITSM adapter for ServiceNow. Before we go into this, I I just want to, for my clarification, I think, well, let me just ask the question. This is like, we're only talking about DAS at this point. So if somebody really wants that tight integration with ServiceNow, that's going to happen in DAS, not CVAD. Am I on the right path there, guys?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a cloud service, the ITMS after. Okay. It only works with DAS.
0: Which is fine. I mean, most people are moving there and maybe they're moving to ServiceNow and it's just all the more reason to either adopt ServiceNow or adopt Citrus Cloud or both, which... For the most part is every customer we have should be heading in that direction if they can figure out how to cost justify it. Or maybe this is what cost justifies it for them is getting that, that data where it needs to be in the integration there. So the first one says automatic deprovisioning of idle static desktops. Uh, well, so what, let, me, let me
1: take a step back here, Andy. So I will say this um, just to clarify is it is a DAS service. It's a cloud service. And you can tie this into an on-prem environment, but it requires things like site aggregation to do it. So again, you know, you've know, you got to be a cloud customer. You know, even if you haven't migrated your control plane up to the cloud to manage your VDAs, uh, you could still do it, but, but it does require DAS licensing to pull it off and site aggregation to pull it off. Yeah. So that's an important caveat.
0: So Todd, does automatic deep provisioning of idle, static, desktops, integration with service now? Why is that important?
2: So, so it's really two things, right? So the first thing is there's the cost structure associated with you know deprovision or, or or more importantly not deprovisioning. Um, you know those machines that are sitting up in Azure or GCP or the, any of the resource locations uh, once you've provisioned those, they sit there and they they run or they sit dormant you're still the meter's still going on some of those. So there's a cost ask actually a cost management component. Of it, but the other p- part of it is, you know, you don't want to have those devices or those those machines sitting up there, those virtual desktops or virtual applications sitting up there uh, as a potential uh, threat vector or a- an access point. Um, so, being able to automate automatically uh, deprovision those uh, services are absolutely critical.
0: So, we are uh, in the process of rolling out service now internally for our own use case for our companies, Integra, we're also going to be offering this to our clients as managed instances to drastically reduce the cost. And I was on board for sure. And then I said, but I, at one point I said, okay, why is this so important for us internally? I get why we want to do it for customers to make money, right? But why is it so important for us internally? And one of my guys said, well, it's for security. I was like, what do you mean it's for security? Service now is not for security. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can't patch and manage and maintain and protect things that you don't know exist. Therefore, let's get that into ServiceNow, our centralized repository. And from there, we can make intelligent decisions around lots of things. But security is paramount. I yep. totally changed the way I looked at ServiceNow, ITSM specifically. And, and ITAM by the way, uh, asset management. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, Jeremy, next one is uh, automatic approval of self-service app and desktop requests. sounds Sounds like Nirvana, to be honest with you.
1: It does sound like Nirvana. Um, you know, I'm to be honest, Annie, like I don't have a, a view into service now from my vantage point. Um, and so this is where I would love to maybe get a demo from you guys and, and some of your integrations, because I mean, listen, this is great. Any any time that you can auto-approve something within a certain, um, you know, just service level, right? I mean, I think it's a, a good idea. So self-service password reset, self-service, um, you know, requests and things like that, I mean, You know, I go into our service now as a user It's Citrix and it's kind of nice to be able to request things to get auto approved. So I don't know what makes me special or unspecial. Some of my requests are not terribly big, but you know, the idea that I don't have to wait for IT to approve something or my manager to approve something to be able to get access and maybe pair that up with automatic deprovisioning too. So let's go say I automatically get approved for a static desktop. Great. Guess what, Jeremy? You don't use it for 15 days. Well, let's go deprovision it, right? I mean, I just think there's a lot of, like you said, nirvana and a workflow like this. This sounds great. Um,
0: I'm, I'm super excited to talk to my team about how to get the HR implementation. Yep. Uh, powerful, powerful, powerful demos. If we can add, make these just part of our our instances that It'll become part of our customer instances as we roll them out. Mm-hmm. So Bill, uh, next one is a custom workflow for handling employee separation. Um, I didn't know what that meant until I read it out loud. Now I think I do. Uh, Tell me why you think this
3: matters. Well, we've been seeing a lot of this, unfortunately, lately with folks that are working for certain companies who will go unnamed all of a sudden trying to log in one morning and finding out they've been effectively deprovisioned. I suspect in a lot of these organizations, that's a manual process where someone literally has to go in and log them off, literally has to go into a separate system, deprovision their VDIs, and then go into the same system into the group section and remove them from the groups. What this does, as I understand it, is automates all of that. So um, when an employee leaves of their own accord on their last day, this workflow kicks off and does the things that it says. It deprovisions them from their VDIs, logs them out if they have to be logged in and removes them from selected groups um in the event that they are terminated or leave um, involuntarily, they can do you can do this much more quickly. Of course, one thing that's not mentioned here, but that that almost goes with goes with all of these is that typically these workflows, they, they aren't, quote unquote, necessarily automatic. You can make them automatic, but many of them, like this one, would probably go through a, an approval process at various layers um, that someone would have to say, yes, we want to deprovision on this day, or we want to uh, run this workflow to, to handle separation on a certain day and time. So when you think about this historically, you know companies would onboard folks through a manual process, and then when they left of their own accord, their accounts. I mean, I don't know how many times back in the day when I'd go out and look at a customer's environment and I'd open up Active Directory and I'd see, a, you know, how many employees do you have? Oh, we have 35 attorneys and 25 paralegals. Okay, that's 60 people. You've got 92 accounts in Active Directory. Oh, really? Yeah, well, what about this guy? Oh, he he left two years ago. That kind of stuff, I'm sure, still happens. It happens a lot, actually. Yeah, happens and, a lot.
2: And as a former security auditor, I used to love going in and do active directory sweeps um, yep. because you would find accounts that were dormant that would, they took away their access, but they still had the active application account associated with it. Right. Um, and right. A variety of different things, and that was it was really just a the process to go through and turn off individual application access and reroute data ownership from one employee to another. Uh, reroute email. I mean, it was a four or five page document that was a checklist for the help le- help desk or the user administration team to have to go through. And if you do it at a scale, something is always going to get missing. Some something's always going to get missed. Or you have those intentional bad actors that are out there that take advantage of those type of things. hey, I don't need to get in through the front door, but I have a credential that allows me to get in through the back door someplace.
3: And then you've got the situation where you've got the employee who started with the company in finance and then decided he wanted to be a sales guy and then decided he wanted to be an operations person or, or some other role on the factory floor, but their account is still a member of the finance group and has access to all the financial information. That's unfortunately, I think, probably still very common. And yep. although this art this specific article doesn't touch on that, that's something else that you can leverage ServiceNow workflows to to accomplish.
0: Todd, if they had a written out workflow, true or false, it was out of date the day after they wrote it.
3: Oh yeah.
2: Typically. Yeah.
0: Yep. That's it's that's even worse when you think you have something that covers you and you don't. Right. All right. Uh, let's see. Fourth bullet here. Ability to import Citrix DAZ license information into service. Now, Jeremy, I have to assume that uh, your customers would love to have high level visibility into that from a centralized system.
1: Yeah, of course. Right. Just to be able to bubble up that information makes it either A, to know how your usage is and then and B, just... Um, I mean, listen, it's just context switching here. I don't have to go back and forth and chase this information down. So if I'm provisioning, deprovisioning from, you know, service now, then why not put that front and center? Makes, makes sense.
0: I bet we have one customer a week that oversubscribes their Citrix licenses and the Citrix admin may or may not notice if they were checking their in, in their, uh, notifications. But when we tell them, then they know. But the organization, I bet, had no idea that this is happening and it could mm. be happening a lot.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Not just that, but you know, we had, there's a feature inside this new HDX for Microsoft, you know, three sixty five, where within the Citrix console, you can actually check out licenses from M three sixty five and make sure folks get assigned. So I think the idea of sharing this information and just making it seamless to where I can do this from one portal, if you will, and I have to go back and forth. You know, I have the visibility plus. You know, I can kind of assign licenses from one spot too.
0: Uh, Last one here says enhanced policy settings for Citrix DAS notifications. Todd, you want to take it? So so this
2: is is something that's been on the nice to have list for probably the past four or five years. And that is, I want to be able to select what notifications are critical, what ones are uh, informational, or what ones are purely just system-generated messages that need to be you know, it's a requirement that they have to be uh, generated because something happened. Um, I need, I want to be able to, as an administrator, I want to be able to assign some priorities and assign some automated routing in there. And that's kind of what the, the enhanced policies do. Uh, gives us the ability to identify, you know, and, and route things that are, that are absolutely critical that we have to act on. And also kind of not have to look through every single uh Message or notification for something that's just, uh, you know, just nice to
0: have, or or something that's for information purposes only. You want to drown out the noise? May put do appropriately handle the noise and get deep when you need to. Yeah. One quick marketing plug for Zintegra. We are working really hard on our service now practice with in conjunction to our existing line of business, which is digital workspace. Citrix, big part of that. Um, that's where we're going. If you're listening to this and and you've got servers now and you've got Citrix and you haven't tied the two together and you want help, give us a call because we're going to go after that business in a big way. Uh, And for Todd and Jeremy, you have your sales engineers out there. um, You know, they're they're running into service now, which they will if they just ask. If you just ask about it, it's everywhere. Um, We're the partner to help you. All right. uh, Last section here talks about enhancing Windows environment management service. I must have three meetings a week where it comes up, uh, you know, user performance, user, user, um, high fidelity, high fidelity experience, how users, users are important. Uh, and Citrix has really invested heavily in the workspace, environment management side of the business. Um, let's go through these somewhat quick, run out of time here, but support for performing administrative tasks, Bill, you want to take that one?
3: Yeah, sure. So, you know, like you said workspace environment management or the WIM service uh, it's something we're seeing in just about every engagement now uh, every consulting engagement a lot of customers are looking to this at least initially for the uh, for the the enhancements to memory and and CPU management, but uh, also for you know a lot of putting icons on the desktop and setting up printers and a lot of other things uh, in the same place. Um, so this this first bullet support for performing admin tasks for domain non-domain joined and enrolled agents this is really just um, Allowing Wim to extend to those devices that are not joined to the Active Direct standard Active Directory domain. Um and then enrolled agents would be again those that are not part of the AD domain that are that have connected to the environment. And you can um you can invite users to enroll, which is discussed a little bit further down in this section.
0: I had uh, absence and Res both came up last week, and it's Wim has come so far that I had to actually mm-hmm. stop to remind myself what those were. <laughs> Uh, next one says uh, configuring Windows GPOs by Group Policy Administrative Templates preview. What is that?
2: Yeah, so this is a this is obviously it's a preview right now, but the ability to to kind of keep a catalog of your Group Policy templates that are out there and apply your GPOs. So being able to to have if I have a catalog of my GPOs or my my administrative templates, there's a lot less likelihood that I'm going to have that I'm going to implement GPOs that step on each other. Um, and I look back at, you know, a lot of the problems with employee performance, or not employee performance, but but user performance is oftentimes uh, related to, you know, when you look at the group policies that are applicable to that to that user, a lot of them contradict each other, or they're looking for to do a printer mapping, or they're looking to do a file mapping, or they're looking to do something And then further on down the GPO stack, there's another process that kicks off. What this is trying to do is help us, help administrators kind of organize their GPOs a little bit better by creating a formal way to do these templates.
0: Yeah, GPOs and Windows and whoever the the person was that started them and then the person that heard them and then the next person to them, I mean, to use the phrase shit show, it's pretty much usually a shit show.
2: Yeah, there used to be a product out there years and years and years ago uh, that was basically it was a GPO search tool that you could go and compare. You take a GPO and it would, it would look at your entire GPO stack and then be able to say, hey, you know what, these three, these three additional uh, policies contradict or repeat what you're currently trying to do with this. Um, it's a great tool. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was something that was going to be very valuable. I, I was kind of shocked that nobody had kind of picked it up. But it really comes down to you know you go through cycles of administrators and everyone comes in and tries to do something different. And you know shame on shame on the the operating system manufacturers for allowing stuff like that to happen. Nobody goes through and cleans up registries. Nobody goes through and cleans up. You know uh, you know go back to the autoexec.bat file days where, you know, you you would go through there every once in a while, or you would add things in and never have to go clean them up afterwards. T- so this really helps script.
0: out. Yes, login script. Oh my yep. gosh. I believe I even thought about that. Bill, when you walk into a new project and the customer says, oh, we'll just use my existing GPOs, what's your reaction?
3: Oh, uh, no, we'd like to review them first.
0: Oh, hell no. <laughs> Wait, Never. Not unless you force me to. Oh my gosh. All right. Last two, Jeremy, knock both of these out since we're out of time, invite users to enroll agents, preview.
1: Um, so there's an enrollment node inside of WEM now you can send invites to users. They can enroll up to five devices actually uh, would be a good use case for non-domain joined, um, you know, machines. You know, we say VDAs also work on an endpoint too, right. um, but that's, that's also supported. And then scripted tasks. This is pretty slick. So, uh, if you've got a scripted task you'd like to kick off, you can do it. I Any mean, basically throw some criteria around it. Maybe it's a Windows event, maybe it's a profile um, management issue, maybe it's a VDA issue. But you know, you could have it looking for certain scenarios, and, and should something happen, you know, scripted task make it do it automatically: reboot something, restart a service, something like
0: that. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I just ran a 5K and I finally crossed the finish line. Maybe a marathon.
1: 5k. Yeah. Yeah. Marathon's probably (laughs) maybe an ultra.
0: (laughs) I would love to talk to you guys about what your Thanksgiving week looks like, but I've got to run to the next meeting, but guys, this has been great. I think we covered a lot of stuff and hopefully people appreciate it. We had a little fun. Um, you know, I I love having these conversations and it keeps me keeps me up to date on what's going on. There's, you know, we're 25 30 years into this and there's still stuff happening and evolving all the time. Thank you for doing this.
2: this Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, yeah, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Do you again in a week. See you. Yeah, see you.
1: Take care.